Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by an absolutely phenomenal individual. I have to say for me personally, this has been a long-awaited interview, uh, Anne Dopner. Now, Anne is the Director for Inclusion and Employee Investment for the very famous Minnesota Vikings. She works every day to create a culture of passion and belonging and is actually the very first full-time individual dedicated solely to the diversity and inclusion agenda. She leads from the fore when it comes to the NFL and has done everything from negotiating player contracts uh, through to salary cap compliance and mobilizing teams at scale. She founded the Minneapolis St. Paul's chapter of women in sports and events additionally, and continues to serve on the board of directors. She's a beacon of transformation and positive culture and engagement when it comes to the DEI agenda. And uh, she never shies away either from working in a man's world. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. I'm just so happy to be with you today and looking forward to this conversation. Oh my goodness, I've been looking forward to this conversation since the first time I saw you speaking. And every time I see you speak, I think, my goodness, you know, it takes such courage, really, to stand up and to lead with passion and also vulnerability. And, um, you know, in particular, within such a well-known sport, and my husband, as you know, is American and was terribly excited uh, when I told him I was speaking to you because he's a huge NFL fan. Tell me a little bit about how you came to be where you are today. And um, for those obviously in the States, but those around the world and even over here in the UK who perhaps don't know the NFL and all that you do as well as I do. Sure. And um, I just like to say I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going. Right. I think my story is really an evolution and I've just leaned into each chapter in each iteration and the next adventure. I, I don't know what that may be at this point, but I've been kind of all over the place. So um, I graduated from a small liberal arts college in Minnesota in the US with a French degree. And I chose to major in French purely because I was inspired and motivated by one particular professor. And I just, I love to be around people who inspire me. And I hope that I can try to pass along some inspiration to other folks through my work, because I think that's really truly what all of this is about. And so I majored in French. I took a couple of jobs out of college um, that eventually led me to a position with the Minnesota Vikings, where I started in 2006. So I'm coming up on my 15 year anniversary in December, which is hard to believe. But I came in at a very entry level position. I started as an administrative assistant, basically a secretarial role in our football operations department. And what that means for an NFL team is um, kind of the business side of everything to do with the player roster. So, of course, we have our, our scouting staff that evaluates talent and decides which players we want to sign and draft and acquire. But behind that, there's the whole business of how do we afford to pay these players? Um, we have a salary cap. So we have a limited amount of dollars we can spend on our roster in an attempt to create equity across the, the league. So there's a a number of rules that go into enforcing the salary cap compliance and making sure that you're above board with everything you do. So I walked in at this entry level role um, purely to kind of shuffle papers really 
um, make sure that boxes were checked and that we're in compliance from that standpoint. But I started to learn the business just by being around it and demonstrated a curiosity and, an, and a desire to grow and learn more and was rewarded for demonstrating that curiosity and, good, and showing some good work on my end um, with more responsibility gradually being handed to me. And I worked my way up to the level of director, which included the responsibility of negotiating player contracts directly in 2016. And then that's where things sort of, sort of started to come into a different light for me um, because I knew the business. I'd been in it for 10 years at that point. But what I didn't realize was the business didn't necessarily know what to do with me. Being a woman at the table negotiating contracts was, was a new experience, not only for me, but for a lot of people who were on the other side of that negotiation. They had truly never negotiated with a woman before. And, um, and it was a learning experience and it brought a lot of things to light for me about how, how many opportunities there really are to um, sort of enlighten and improve the culture from a diversity standpoint. So that when you introduce people who don't look like the people that have been there in the past, um, how can you make sure they feel supported and therefore they can grow to their biggest potential and we have a more diverse industry as a result would be the, the long-term goal. So with that in mind, um, I introduced the concept in 2018 to our leadership. And at the time, like you said, there was no full-time diversity and inclusion professional on any NFL staff. And so it would, it would be a new thing. Fortunately, I work for the Vikings who we pride ourselves on being innovative and, and not following, but leading. Um, and we knew this was the right thing to do. And I was blessed with the opportunity to step into that role, which I did in 2019. And so I've been in that space for just about two years now and navigating all sorts of things from, you know, what I didn't know I was walking into in terms of COVID culture that awaited us uh, shortly after my transition. And then with the murder of George Floyd, specifically here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, in the summer of 2020, um, that introduced a whole number of, um, I would say, conversations that needed to be had, had needed to be had for a very long time. And then I, I've tried to help guide our organization through that. And then just continue to work every day to innovate and help our staff learn and grow about how we can all be part of improving the culture. Wow, where do I start? You've covered so much and it has been an absolute positive roller coaster of a journey. Obviously, you mentioned the tragic murder of George Floyd and obviously the difficulties through the pandemic, which I'd love us to come to actually in a moment. But first of all, just looping back on some of the key things you mentioned there around what it means to, to be female in a man's world. And, you know, I've watched a lot of your interviews and, and watched you kind of just so incredibly gracefully at ease speak and share many different sessions and you know I think it's so important uh, to your point visible diversity as well as obviously invisible diversity is something that we start to see and bring to the fore because without that visible diversity there is a significant lack of then role models and confidence and capability for others to believe that they can achieve those heights of seniority. And, you know, in particular, you, you mentioned, you know, this is something that you kind of, I, I think you said you'd never, you never shied away from this. Um, as with everything, there always needs to be a first and a second and, and people who are able to raise their head above the parapet and pave the way for others. Talk to me a little bit about 
the importance of different areas of diversity. And by that, I don't just mean gender diversity, but also parenthood and caring responsibilities and, you know, this evolutionary change process, because it is still not something that is hugely prevalent across the entire of the NFL, uh, which is why I particularly admire what you do, because you've been one of the early adopters stepping straight into this. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because that that did become a huge part of my identity. Not only was I a woman in the field, but I became a working mother in the field in 2011 with the birth of my daughter. Um, And I also have a son who's two years younger. And again, I, I think it was something that I didn't anticipate being an obstacle because I've always thought if I apply myself to something, I'm smart. I can figure out a situation, I will be able to excel and and handle anything that comes at me. But I think what I wasn't prepared for was the, basically how other I felt um, by being a a working parent um, in a culture that really thrives on, historically has thrived on FaceTime and many, many hours of it each day. Um, I think we've learned a lot through the pandemic in terms of how we can work and balance, I, you know, I don't really love the word balance, integrate family and personal life with our professional life and therefore alleviate a lot of stress in both areas. But at the time that I was going through this, I mean, for example, I think I was the first working mom to have the need to pump breast milk in the workplace, right? And in, in my office. And that was a unique concept, I will say, for a number of my coworkers who we're not clear why I was shutting my door a few times a day because we have a very open door office setting. Um, so that was an interesting thing to navigate, uh, but it just really had not been seen. Um, and now I tell that to younger female coworkers of mine. I mean, in our current building, we have a dedicated mother's room, a really lovely, clean, private, comfortable space to express breast milk. And they find it really confusing that I didn't have the same amenities. And that makes me feel good because that shows that we've, we've made progress to the point where they would never expect anything less at this point. They would never expect any less support than what they have right now. And that's what I love to see because anytime we can make improvements to make people feel like they can integrate all these pieces of their lives so they can perform better at their jobs should be our ultimate goal. So, so those kind of things, I had to be kind of the first to sort of have some conversations around that. I also think that also me being a working mother in some ways, ironically, worked to my advantage due to cultural expectations that women, when they have children, are going to need to be involved in their kids' lives. And I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with this. This has just sort of been the expectation that, oh, well, you know, she's a mom with kids. She's going to need to leave early to pick them up or take them to the doctor or go to their performance. And I think that truly we have some work to do in allowing men and fathers to feel that same permission to lean into that space, to leave work for family reasons, to to prioritize family and child rearing in the same way. Um, So that's kind of my next goal is to get to, to that space because I think we've gotten there a little bit for mothers, but maybe have some work to do um, with men who are, who are parents as well. So, but, but that is definitely, you know, that presented some issues for sure. Um, But I also tried to lean into it because I knew that while if I was feeling stressed out by, by integrating the two, then surely other parents in the workplace were too. So I started to do things. um, I'm a big ask for forgiveness and not permission person. So I started to do things that, (laughs) that I felt like, um, I didn't feel like we're wrong, but we're maybe 
not considered, um, you know, condoned in the workplace. So for instance, if I ran into situations where I didn't, we didn't have childcare, I'd say, well, I'm going to bring my kids into the office and they can sit here and, you know, watch a show or read or, or color or whatever they need to do. And I will still do my work. And I, I didn't do that just solely to make my day work, but to also illustrate to other working parents that it's okay if you need to kind of blur the lines sometimes. And little did I know how blurred our lines would be now while my kids are actually in the next room <laughs> with me in the house right now while I work. But but I, I felt like I had developed some equity and some seniority through my years in the industry. And I felt like it was my role to demonstrate because I felt safe in that sense. I wasn't new, I had proven myself and I could use sort of that platform of seniority to demonstrate a behavior that I hadn't seen before, but would love to let others feel like it's okay to, to, to copy, basically. I love the fact that you've mentioned so many different areas of basically intersectionality. And it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition because I often hear, and I've heard actually, interestingly, quite a lot more so within the world, oh, well, um, you know, why are we still talking about gender diversity, et cetera? Um, and I, I guess I kind of see it two ways because, you know, to your point, there's always going to be first and there's different industries where we are so much more behind than we are with others. And um, one thing I particularly enjoyed about one of the videos I watched of yours is that you just um, you'd mentioned not shying away from this, actually being proud and embracing your diversity and what that means, because ultimately it is a biological difference and one in which um, often can put you at a disadvantage. But utilising that as a positive is important um, to ultimately showcase and level the playing field for others, whilst at the same time, you know, there's so many other different aspects, you know, not just being seen, just in inverted commas, being seen as a leader who is female, but also parenthood and caring responsibilities, generational diversities, you know, disability, neurodiversity, the list goes on. You know, I think what we're starting to see and what is beautiful about what you just said there is that actually there's many different idiosyncratic details that make us up as individuals. And by benefiting certain individuals who are um, perhaps at that disadvantage, um, we are also then benefiting and giving permission in inverted commas to others, i.e. working fathers, you know, single parents, all of these great things um, give us that uh, richness of diversity and different experience. So by helping helping one, we are helping others as well. And that is actually my favourite expression, asking for forgiveness, not permission. My team have heard me say that so many times. When you said that, I had a wry smile. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I think that lends Brilliant. itself well to that, that tendency of mine lends itself well to the work I do now, because ultimately when you're trying to create a more diverse and inclusive landscape, wherever it may be on any scale, at the root of it, you are disrupting something that has been in place for a long time. And disrupting is not a negative word in, in my view. Um, it's a really positive, it shows that you're willing to evolve and innovate and think more openly about things and, and really kind of examine, are we doing things the best way? And so I think, I think of myself as a disruptor in the most positive, way and sometimes to disrupt you need to act first um, and demonstrate you know because because I think a lot of there's a lot of fear around change in general 
right? Humans are not conditioned to handle change well in, in many different ways. And I think once you can see, right, there's reasons we have case studies and we look at those for um, ways that we can say, okay, they've done it, now we can do it. Um, so I think you have to act. Sometimes you just have to act first and have faith that it will go well. And therefore you can kind of reduce some of that fear going with the change. So that's where the whole act for, or ask for forgiveness and not permission, I think comes from. What I think is really wonderful about, I mean, not only what you've said there, but also about some of the pieces online as well, is this not trying to conform. Um, you were quoted as saying something about the lines of not trying to be one of the guys. How did you manage that? For others that are listening in, whether they are female in a man's world, whether they are different, their diversity is different from the majority within their business setting, within their club setting, whatever it might be. How how do you kind of break through uh, that noise and, and almost um, you know, make sure you retain your own sense of self whilst earning the respect of those around you that perhaps don't think in the same way as you do? Well, to be honest, I did try to act like one of the guys for a very long time early in my career. And, and it, it, it did help. It did hold me back because I wasn't being true to myself. I was questioning myself at every turn. Um, you know, imagine sitting at a boardroom full of all men and only myself and not having an idea in my head, but nobody else is voicing it. And do I want to be the first to voice it? Because I, I think I instantly, um, for a while, assumed that my ideas were secondary or not as good as the rest of the group, because I assumed a certain level of competence, I guess, from the men in the room, because they had been there for so long. And so I, I held my own self back because actually the beauty of it was that often I had ideas that were unique because I was different and should have been voiced and should have been heard, right? Um, just by nature of that. And so, but I did for a long time, try to blend in, try to be one of the guys. I think I've always been really knowledgeable about sports and that uh, I remember in college, I was the first woman that I knew to play fantasy sports, fantasy football with the guys. And it, and it definitely like, um, it probably gave me some sort of sense of validation in a way, looking back. But at the same time, you know, I really did like sports. And I really did like playing fantasy sports and that kind of thing and following along. Um, but I was different than the girls in that sense. And then I was different from the guys because I was the only female playing with them. Um, so it was just kind of this weird in between. And I think it, when you looking back to the workplace and being one of the only women and trying to fit in, um, I really did myself a disservice um, and did others behind me a disservice. So that's where I, you know, I like to say, um, we never say culture fit anymore in our workplace. We say culture add. How is this person going to add to the culture? How can you add to the culture? not fit into the culture because then you're changing something about yourself that is unique and special. And what we want is to hire people for who they are and let that shine and let them bring their individuality and their own ideas to the workplace. And, um, and so I see, you know, I've, I've often seen women do that, lean into the, the male culture and it's really selling themselves short in the long run. It's the easiest thing in the short term, but ultimately doesn't get you where you need to be and doesn't unleash your full potential. 
relate to this so much and I'm, I'm sure that many people do listening in I heard a stat and I have quoted it multiple times actually and it still astounds me is that those in the minority whether it be a woman in in, in a male environment or another avenue of diversity someone of color for example in an all-white environment um, they spend 30 percent of their time thinking about how they will fit in and I remember when someone first told me that I kind of was suddenly exported in a time machine back to my childhood thinking about being young and being um, you know the only Chinese child in the in, in the class and various other kind of life stages and I just thought oh my goodness you know I was not listening to anything else around me other than thinking about how I fit in and worrying about what I might possibly say next and I guess you, know, you mentioned this twofold because number one you you mentioned that it might be the easy thing in the short term it absolutely is in in one respect uh, to do so because all you want to do is conform when you lack that confidence that that confirmation to be like other people and to be liked it's a human need right isn't it but then on the other hand to spend that percentage of time worrying about how to be alike other people imagine if that time went into productivity ultimately great for exactly. business great for society it's just I mean, it's an amazing amount it really is. And, and I, I, I'm, I reflect on a story that I heard from um, Wade Davis, who is a former NFL player. Uh, I encourage your listeners to, to look up his story because it's really remarkable. And he speaks so eloquently about his experience um, as a gay man who was not out during his playing days. And he spent so much energy trying to make sure that none of his teammates, his coaches could figure out that he was gay. I mean, down to the point where he was watching film with Champ Bailey, who is arguably one of the best cornerbacks ever to play American football, a legendary Hall of Famer. And he had this grand opportunity to learn from one of the best in the game. But when he sat down to watch film of himself with Champ, all he could think was, look at my feet. I'm running gay. I'm looking like, you know, he knows he can see it in my and he took none of the teachings that could have helped him ultimately improve as a player. And he talks about how, you know, he feels like he really shortchanged himself in his career as a result of all that energy he spent trying to make sure no one found him out, so to speak. Um, and yeah, it's, it's truly, it's, it's lost potential. It absolutely is. And it's just hard. I mean, it's gut-wrenching thinking about that. And it is a real stark reminder why individuals like yourself, you know, us having this conversation and many others can make such a big impact. You know, obviously you're there trailblazing, paving the way for others. But even just on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, speaking up and out a little bit more, that impacts one person that makes makes them think, you know, oh, do you know what? Actually, I relate to that. And I feel now that I'm safe. It is, you know, to your earlier point, it's an evolutionary process. We're always going to be on this journey. We're always going to be speaking out. There will be diversities within diversities within diversities. And in order to truly welcome all and to have people join us along that, we must keep the conversation moving. And, you know, I often think in, in, in DNI, it can be DNI. I mean, again, I'm a little bit biased here, but DNI, I honestly feel it's the hardest role within the C suite because you're influencing mile wide and you're influencing mile deep at the same time. It is a pretty relentless journey it truly is it's um I often remark on how long the list is of um, conversations to have and things to explore and 
um, different things to analyze. And it's, it's just, it's never, it's never ending, nor should it be. We should be always consistently reevaluating, right? And not, not even just in terms of diversity and inclusion, but just how we um, innovate and operate our business. And this is just a, one lens with which we should be looking at things is through the diversity and inclusion lens as well. But, but, but you're absolutely right. And it's, it's a beautiful challenge and a beautiful opportunity as well. Um, and it's um, a lot of it is just my work is building trust with the rest of our organization um, and helping, you know, I, I, I'm one person, so I definitely cannot actually accomplish or handle all of the work that needs to be done. But what I need to do is build trust with my coworkers and my fellow decision makers and so that they can, I can bring them along and help them see things in a different way that are actually ultimately going to help all of us be better and better serve our fans and our players and our employees and our community. Um, and that's what we all want at the end of the day. But but you're right. The word relentless, I think, is exactly right. Oh, my goodness. I heard someone say recently, oh, God, I could have reached through the computer screen and throttled them. Obviously, I kind of kept that in my head. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Said, so, oh, DNI, it's all the fun stuff. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? It absolutely is at many times, but it is so, so, so much more than that. Yes, we are passionate about diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, culture, all of the complex things that that actually does mean. But keeping a relentless foot on the gas all the time, uh, it can be emotionally taxing. I mean, I guess on this note, obviously, with some of the terrible tragedies that have happened and how we spin them and utilize these world events for good, talk me through, I guess, how you felt and some of the key actions that uh, the death of George Floyd has taken, obviously with um, Minnesota Vikings being at the heart and, and doing some wonderful things now, how can we leverage this to inspire more within the wider NFL, within business and wider society? So that this is not something that has gone amiss. Right. Um, I think the, you know, the killing of George Floyd that happened just right here, it was a couple short miles from our stadium. It was a block away from the Boys and Girls Club where our players have strong relationships and ties and spend a lot of their time volunteering. I mean, it really hit us in a community sense very, very deeply, um, as it should have. And it sparked some really um, important conversations internally about who are we as the Minnesota Vikings and how do we want to show up for our community and how do we actually, it's really an obligation because we are, um, we are blessed and lucky to have the platform that we have to be more than a sports team and for our players to be more than athletes because they are truly inspiring little kids and children at, at every day but through, through who they are and what they represent as a possibility for someone, right? And that is so important to handle correctly and, and powerfully. Um, so we had some conversations and you know, the very next day, I credit our internal diversity and inclusion council with all of the credit for, for driving these conversations that absolutely needed to be had that day and, and making sure that we acted that day because it was more crucial than ever that we spoke and were there for our community that like we never had been before and that we, it couldn't wait. This was not something that we could have you know, five or 10 meetings to decide how we were going to navigate. And we needed quick action. 
And we did that and we, we issued a statement. Um, we were the first local professional team to, to issue the statement, which is not necessarily the point, but the, the fact that there was quick action spoke volumes to our employees, particularly our black employees, our players who are mostly black men, um, our community. You know, the fact that we spoke out first, I think really drove home what our values are. And then in the ensuing weeks and months, um, you know, we started to have some players speak very candidly out on their own social media accounts as individuals. And then we drove that conversation internally to say, now we need to act as the Vikings to receive and support our players' words without question in this moment so that they know that they are not speaking as, you know, for example, Eric Kendricks, our captain uh, linebacker, just by himself, but that he is speaking as a representative of the Minnesota Vikings organization. And we support everything that he is feeling right now um, as a black man who realizes this could have been him and he sees his community hurting and he wants to be there for them. So there were a lot of, and, and, and it's, it was really interesting because we've obviously seen the Colin Kaepernick situation, how that uh, unfolded in a sense where there was a player who did act and did not receive the support of his club. And we all know what happened since. And so that's why we felt it was all the more important to show our players when they spoke and used their own words in their platform that we were there with them. They don't have to fear losing their job or their place on the team. That in fact, we support whatever they want to say and do in this time. Um, and those were new conversations for us as an organization. And I feel like it built a very strong foundation that we now can rely on because now we show where we stand. And now the conversations that come next, we can lean on and rely on the fact that we know the organization um, supports our social justice efforts and the play and supports what the players want to see done and what the players want to say and how they want to impact the community. So it was really um, a crucial time for, I think, guiding the, the future of our organization. I commend the action uh, that you all took. I mean, I saw obviously here over in the UK, we were watching with bated breath and, you know, all of the work, all of the, the noise that was happening um, around the tragedy. But as you say, to see such incredibly quick statements come out and also um, actions, ultimately, you know, when it comes to uh, racism, there is no room for sitting on any fence anywhere. Actually, it's making sure that there is action behind those words and um, that from every dark cloud comes some kind of silver lining not to take away in any way shape or form from what's happened but ultimately seeing the surge of not only cash going into social justice causes uh, I saw that there was a lot of meaningful steps taken towards social injustice and and donations as well happening which I think you know to too many whilst um, you know, a, a small chip of the iceberg to, to get there ultimately shows that this is a conversation that must continue and um, continue to, to happen. In particular, you know, we did a lot of work around it being over a year now, the, the year anniversary of George Floyd. Have you seen a lot move on within that year? Obviously, after the, the initial uh, event itself, one year on, have you seen there be a sea change, a move uh, feelings of difference now starting to um starting to really happen within within the NFL and, and and within your own kind of um you know wider team culture as it were yeah absolutely and the the biggest thing that I've seen and felt 
is the number of NFL teams who have now moved to name a head of diversity and inclusion on their staff. Um, because I started on my own in this field within our industry. And now I have the support of eight other professionals at other NFL teams. And we meet frequently. We lend support. We share ideas because we're all we all work for our different teams. But ultimately, we all want the league, the whole industry to be a better place and how we it's the most collaborative work I think there could be. And it's such a contrast for me coming from the football operations side where it was very competitive. And I certainly never shared ideas for contract structures with my other the other teams in the league because you were trying to be better. Whereas this work is nothing but how can we collaborate, share ideas, execute things together to to ultimately create a better industry. So the fact that I have these, um, you know, co-conspirators in a way is, is so incredibly powerful because we can do so much more together. And we have this opportunity and we often talk about it because not every team has a head of diversity and inclusion yet. So we kind of have this opportunity to help guide um, the best practice for how to do this work at the team level. And so we take that very seriously as well. How can we help as we are paving the way every day, this being a new focus for our industry, um, how can we lend our ideas to that? And so just seeing the number of teams that are devoting resources in terms of staff, that is that is a big, big step. Now we all wish we had not just one person on each team, we wish we each had a large team of, of staff and I think we will get there eventually. Um, but just like any new initiative, it takes time. Um, but but that that is something I've seen. And then individually on the on our team level, um, you know, our ownership has been really supportive from day one of directing um, dollars straight to our players' social justice council and telling the players, we want you, we want to hear from you. How do you directly want to impact the community? And where should we be supporting? And how do you want to show up and support those organizations? Not just with money, but with building relationships and um and creating a positive impact by by your presence and your efforts. Um, and we did that last year. We're doing that again this year. Uh, and I believe it'll just be a continuation going forward of putting that right in our players' hands of saying, you know, we, we want this to be about, about you and how you shape our community. So that has been a really positive thing. Uh, the players have really leaned into having that voice and, and just love to see um, their ideas and, and their inspiration. Absolutely. And it is, as you say, it is collaboration, not competition. Some things are so much bigger than ourselves. And, um, you know, to do what you've done, to do what many others are continually pushing and striving for, especially the other eight in the NFL, which is brilliant, um, you know, paving the way and leaving a lasting legacy for social good. Because that is what it is all about. It's those future generations of leaders and wanting uh, to leave uh, this world of business and society and sport in a better place. But, um, you know, one thing I, I really just stands out and I'm having this conversation with you is, um, you know, the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, the NFL is so much more than just sport. It inspires, it educates, it motivates us who want to do great things. And, um, you know, when you see, you know, albeit terrible things happen in the world, actually, we can all almost 
get so excited and emotional about sport that you almost you know it has that capability unlike other things to actually just bring everyone together um and to get people really excited and, and want to make that true positive change and difference yeah sports is purely the vehicle it, it really really is just the vehicle for impact change and inspiration and we just we take that so seriously and feel truly honored to be able to be in a place where we can create such a strong impact through the power of sport indeed before we end for today and um, i normally ask a couple of lightning round questions and i'm, I'm just going to ask a, a couple here before we we close out for today but i, I wonder for first probably the most difficult question what what does success look like to you and, and how would you define that or can you define that now that you are where you are in your career? I think success for me looks like things happening on a, without me having to even enter the conversation, right? That, that, some, that we have the trickle down effect of a focus on diversity and inclusion is alive throughout the whole organization. And, and one of my best examples of success recently is um, at the start of last NFL season, which I guess is not that recently anymore, we're coming up on a year, but last NFL season, you know, we couldn't have fans in the stands due to the pandemic. There was very limited number of people allowed to even be in the building around the football operation for safety reasons. Um, but we wanted to honor George Floyd's family at, at pregame of our first game last year. So we found a way to bring them into the building to, to kick off the game in sort of a ceremonial fashion. And our game presentation crew realized that this was a very impactful and sensitive uh, moment for the family and for our viewing audience and our fans and our community. They wanted to make sure that they handled this as, as professionally and in, in as, as sensitive of a manner as possible. So they came to the Diversity and Inclusion Council with their script that they had written, that they had written to be read on air when the family was presented to, to kick off our game. And to me, that was success because nowhere along the line, you know, did, did anyone have to say, oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It was thought about at the level of the person who was tasked with uh, bringing the family in and realizing they wanted a broader perspective and to make sure that they ran um, this by through all the proper channels to make sure that we handled it appropriately. And so to me, that's success. All those little things that start to happen because we are starting to infuse an emphasis on, on diversity and inclusion. So anytime something like that happens, um, I feel like it's a success. What an amazing answer. And finally, I wonder if you could go back in time, perhaps to the very young Anne about to embark on her career, kind of, you know, doing a lot of the admin roles, thinking about actually where you want to be in the future. What advice would you give to your younger self? Or perhaps it's someone else that's in a similar, similar situation, not decided what they want to do yet, but about to embark on, on their, their life ahead. What would you say? I would say, and I say this to my daughter all the time, you deserve to be where you are. You have earned it. And uh, you, you have no one to thank but yourself, really. We all need people to help us along the way, of course. But I think I spent way too long 
feeling, you know, the overriding feeling for me was I'm lucky to be here, you know, and I should be grateful, um, that kind of thing. And again, that's where I limited myself in terms of how I felt I could express my ideas or my thoughts or my opinions, because I didn't want to rock the boat of why well, should just be happy to be here. And I actually, I have a tattoo <laughs> on my arm that I got, I got in the wake of the U.S. Women's World Cup um, Championship in 2019. Um, what really stuck with me was there was footage of, they were of course celebrating in a grand fashion once they came back to the States. And they caught Megan Rapinoe on camera holding the trophy and someone asked her, how does that feel? And she said, I deserve this. I deserve this. And she may have used an expletive as well. But, um, but I thought, <laughs> how amazing to see a woman fully leaning into how amazing she is. And she does deserve that. She worked hard. She trained for years. She showed up in the games. She, she deserved that trophy. Instead of kind of, I think what we've historically seen of, oh, well, I couldn't have done it without. And, you know, just that, you know, shoulders back, like I, I deserve this. So I have, I deserve this on my arm <laughs> now to remind me that I, I deserve this and I, and I should, you know, own your awesome is another, is another way to say it. Um, you've worked hard and, and you're amazing. And I think more women need to hear that. Um, versus the, I should just be lucky to be here. Damn right. I love that. But Anne, it has been, it's just been an absolute joy speaking with you today. The first time I spoke with you, I was inspired. Um, I'm leaving this conversation, as I'm sure many people are as well, who are tuning in, thinking absolutely yes. I always try and do a brief summary at the end. And, um, you know, I guess in this instance, you know, one thing that's just standing out to me so much is just absolutely owning this, having the confidence, having the clarity, not having those self-limiting beliefs. You know, we've all got those little devils on our shoulders. We've all got those little voices in our heads. We often think that that is just us. It isn't. Everyone is thinking it. You know, the way that you have absolutely taken the step change, being through thick and thin, through world tragedy moments, through being the first in many instances, to now laying the ground for others to follow, I just think is absolutely inspirational. In particular, your proudness um, to see that you're just embracing every single aspect of that and putting in interventions. You know, the story about the the, the breast milk pumps in 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 the um, you know in the rooms in in the NFL. I just think that is you know that is fantastic. You know, we're starting to see now more and more businesses and societies putting in place interventions that normalize this. So thank you so much. And, you know, it's just been, been a joy and keep up the incredible work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and love following your work as well. And thank you for the impact that, that you continue to have as well as we all collaborate together. Oh, mutual love. I'm getting like tingles. Yeah. <laughs> it's been amazing. <laughs> My name is Lady Mackenzie Dallas. I'm the founder and CEO of Dar Global. You've been listening to the superb and Dopner. Make sure you check her out on her website, also on uh, the Vikings. We'll make sure we put all of the show notes in at the end of today's show um, so you won't miss anything at all. You can visit us in the Dar Global app. It's in the App Store, Dar Global Network, or uh, visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of your favorite.
favorite podcast apps and you'll be able to download the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders or go direct to www.darglobal.org forward slash podcast. Take care and see you again very soon.